All right, if you have your copy of God's Word, take it and turn with me to Romans chapter number 11. Romans chapter 11. Now, so this is my third Sunday to try to get through this chapter. My third Sunday. And, uh, you know, here's what's going to happen today. No matter what happens today, this is our last sermon in chapter 11. (laughs) If we make it to the end or not, it doesn't matter. This is the last time we'll give it a shot. Romans chapter 11. Now, Kind of on a, in a, on a big picture, Romans chapter 11, I'm trying to tell you what God's plan for the Jewish people is as a whole, both now and in the future. That's what I'm trying to, I'm trying to talk about here. Now, just for a brief review, we already know from Romans, from the, book as, as from a, the entirety of the book, God has used the Jewish nation for his purpose. They were a light to the world, and it was through the Jewish people that the Lord brought to us some wonderful things. One of the most wonderful things the Jewish people brought to us is the Old Testament. Now, if you are not a a Bible-reading person, and I would hope that every person who's a Christian would really work at reading the Bible regularly and systematically. Now, I I have a favorite book. When me and Valerie got married... um, she brought a book to our family. It was a book called The Giver by Lois Lowry. Anybody, does anybody know that book, Lois Lowry by uh, Lois Lowry, The Giver? I've read that book 14 times on, on the minimum. That's just an estimate. I've read that book so many times that I, just, I can pick it up any place and just read the whole thing, middle, beginning, end, doesn't matter. I, just, I love that book. And then I have, these, I have this other collection of books that I've had for a long time, and they're all written by America's greatest author, Louis L'Amour. Louis L'Amour has basically shaped my entire view of manhood and, uh, you know, all that kind, all that kind of stuff. So there's some great lines from Louis L'Amour, and I'm not going to share too many of them with you. <laughs> but but I've, read all, I've read these books over and over because and, I love them. And I've really and just resonated with me on a, on a deep level. And then, um, but the Bible is a book I've read over and over and over again. I couldn't even venture to say how many times I've read the Bible. Yesterday, back there in the back, uh, you know, the more you, the more you read something, the more familiar you get with it. Last night, yes, yesterday morning at the men's Bible study, I was reading from Hebrews chapter, chapter number uh, 13, and I'm, I'm, I'm looking at the words in the ESV, but I'm saying the words to the King James Version. <laughs> and I'm just, it's, just, it's just wired in there because you become so familiar with something. Now, the Jews gave us the Old Testament, and the Old Testament is delicious to read. Now, there are some parts of it that are like Brussels sprouts. They have their own, it has a nice flavor to it. And they're not bad every once in a while, but there are other parts of the Old Testament that are just like like mashed potatoes and catfish. It's just not together, not together, (laughs) but they're just delicious to read. And you love them. And so that's a wonderful part of the Bible for you to read, the Old Testament. And then the Jews also have given to us our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is a son of David. He's a, a son of Abraham, according to the flesh. And it's Christ that the Jews have given to us. And so God has used the Jewish nation, and for that use we are all very thankful. But the Jews, as a covenant people, they rejected God over and over. And then, then when they rejected Jesus, God 
destroys them as a nation, and they've never been the same. Now, this is what we know about the Jews so far. Now, in, in the Christian era, there is a shift from the Jews to the Gentiles in the Christian era. There's, this is undebatable. There is a massive shift. And chapter number 11 is Paul talking about this, what's going to happen to the Jews. Chapter 11 answers the question, has God rejected Israel forever? And the, the short answer is no. But because it looks like the wrong answer, because the Jews become a minority within Christendom, because it looks like the wrong answer to say no, Paul gives us this reading here in Romans chapter number 11. Now, remember that even though I say Paul gives us this reading, this is not Paul, this is the Holy Spirit. Because all Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for us, all right? So let's look at Romans chapter 11. I'm going to read through verse 36. And then, whatever happens, this will be your last shot. Romans, Romans 11. So I ask, did they stumble, the Jews, in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles... How much more will their full inclusion mean? Now, I am speaking. Now, I have this marked in my Bible. Now, I am speaking to you Gentiles. Inasmuch, then, as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, What will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be ignorant, do not not be arrogant toward the branches." If you are, remember that it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, Well, the branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief. But you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and severity of God. Severity towards those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness, otherwise you too will be cut off. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted back into their own olive tree? Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery. Brothers, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved as it is written. The deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. As regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. 
But as regards election, they are beloved for the Father for the sake of their forefathers. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. For just as you were at one time disobedient to God, but now have received mercy because of their disobedience, so they too now have been disobedient in order that by the mercy shown to you they may also now receive salvation. For God has consigned all to disobedience that he may have mercy on all. And I'm going to save that last three verses to read for later. We trust God to add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's have a short prayer together. Father, I really ask for your help. In Christ's name, amen. Now, verses 11 through 24 are a warning to the Gentile believers who are the objects of this shift. There's this shift from the Jews to the Gentiles. The spotlight is now on the Gentiles, and it's a warning to the Gentiles. Don't let it go to your head. Have you ever let something go to your head? I have. More than once. And probably it might happen again today. Because that's how we are. When somebody notices how special we are, when somebody says, you are the favored one, you have these special gifts and talents, it's hard to not get big-headed, isn't it? You know, there's that great old country song. Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're practically perfect in every way. (laughs) It's tough. And when somebody notices how wonderful you are, well, what's, what's the proper response to that? Well, of course, it's about time they figure it out, right? I can remember when I was trying to convince Valerie to go out with me because she didn't care for me at all. Can you believe that? And finally, once she come to her senses and realized that I was the greatest thing since sliced bread, then uh, you know, we got along together just fine. And so we can become arrogant. Now, verse number 11 says that this falling away of the Jews is not because of the Gentiles' superiority. It's not because they were so special or more lovable or more desirable than the Jews. That is not true. Romans 1 tells us that. This falling away of the Jews from privilege to hardening was not an accident. This is a part of God's plan. It was God's plan to shift from the Jews to the Gentiles. We know this is God's plan because the Old Testament tells us about it, that there's going to be this shift that I will, that the, the people of the isles, the Gentiles, will become my people too. Now in verse number 12, this shift to the Gentiles does not mean that the Jews are out altogether. It doesn't mean that God has nothing for them anymore. That's not what he's saying. He says that they're, if, if, they're, if, they're, if they're falling away leads to the salvation of the Gentiles, it's because the Jews have a glorious future. A glorious future. Look at the reading there. How much more will their full inclusion mean? They're headed for something glorious. Now, this doesn't mean that all Jews are headed for something more glorious. It doesn't mean that all Jews who have ever lived or existed are going to be saved. Because once you die without having your faith in Christ, you go to hell and there are no second chances. And while I'm there, let me say this to you who are here. You only get one life to put your faith in Christ, and that's this life. 
If you don't put your faith in Christ in this life, when you die, you're going to go to hell. And once you get into hell, you will get out of hell at the great white throne judgment. But it won't be because you've served your time in hell and now you're free to go. It's going to, it's going to be to move from one kind of punishment to eternal torment. The lake of fire that burns forever and ever. So if you don't put your faith in Christ now in this life, on purpose, you're not going to go to heaven. You're going to, you're going to go to hell. And then you're going to go to the lake of fire. And you can only do it now. You can only do it now. And if you haven't done that, you need to do it. And, you know, I wish I could make everybody do it. I wish I could make, but I can't make anybody do anything. I can make you say words, but I can't make real faith happen. You have to put your faith in Christ. If you don't do it now, you're not going to do it. If you don't do it in this life, you're not going to be able to do it in the next life because you're going to be in hell. Now, the Jews, there are a, a Jewish remnant who are going to be saved. There are some Jews who were saved, and there are some Jews on the earth now who are saved. But there is a future for them as a people that's more glorious. Now, verses 13 and 14, the apostle says that in order to make the Jews jealous or to stir them up so they'll imitate the Gentile Christians and their belief in Christ, the Gentiles have been prospering spiritually. There's something magnificent going on in the Gentile world. In Paul's day, being a Christian would get you in hot water with both the Roman government and with the Jewish people. And what Paul is talking about is that the, the Christians... They are thriving. They are prospering. They are overtaking the nation. They even say that Nero's mother may have become a Christian. And so when Paul writes these letters, he talks about how how he mentions people's names. If you look up the names of these people, you'll see that these are people who have become Christians and they're even in Hero's household. Hero's household. Nero's household. It's just Christianity is advancing in ways nobody can really believe. And the reason why Christianity has advanced and did advance and still does advance in the face of incredible obstacles is because Christianity spreads by the power of God through the Holy Spirit. Now, this rejection of of Christ has brought the Gentiles salvation. Now, verse 15 tells us that If Jews would believe, even though there's been this shift away from them, that if any Jewish person puts their faith in Christ, they will be saved. For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If they accept Christ as their Messiah, if they put their faith in Him, they will live. They will live. Now in verses 16 through, I guess it's about 19, He uses this illustration of dough and branches to help us see that both Jews and Gentile believers, both Jewish believers and Gentile believers, are part of the same root. The same root. If the root is holy, verse 16, if the root is holy, so are the branches. If the bits of the dough are offered, 
then the whole lump is holy. Now, the root is the question. What is this root? Now, there's, there's two ways to think about the root here. The holy root. It's either Abraham or it's Jesus. It's either Abraham or it's Jesus. Now, whatever, whichever one you want to choose, I will not argue with you. I think it's talking about Abraham myself. Abraham. Because when a person puts their faith in Christ, Galatians 3 says, Those who are of faith, these are the children of Abraham. So when you put your faith in Christ, you become a part of the true Israel, the true people of God. There's natural Israel, ethnic Israel, then there's true spiritual Israel. And when you put your faith in Christ, you become a part of true Israel. You become a son of Abraham, a daughter of Abraham. You are a child of the promise. Now, it depends on how, how, much, how much you know about eschatology and different kinds of theology. Maybe what I said to you just, just now is something you don't really agree with or haven't heard before. Because it's kind of a minority, it's kind of a minority statement. But I think this is what the Bible is teaching us. Is that Old Testament, that every believer, either Jew or Gentile, they are collectively the Israel of God, the people of God. Romans 3, 7 says that. John chapter 8, Jesus talks about it when he's talking to the Pharisees. He's arguing with them about who is a real child of Abraham. And then verses 28 and 29 of Romans where Paul says that it's not those who are circumcised who are Jews, but it's those who have the circumcision of the heart. So that's my, those are my leading principles in thinking about it in that way. And what Paul is saying is that you Gentiles, now that the Jews who rejected Christ, they've been broken off of the tree, of the root that's Abraham, but now you through faith have been grafted into Abraham. Now in Oklahoma... They had trees. They didn't have a lot of trees, but they had some trees, and they had a lot of pecan trees in the town we lived in. Now, there's two kinds of pecan trees, from what I can understand, in, in Oklahoma. There's these pecans that have a real hard shell. Then there's a pecan tree that they call a paper shell. Paper shell. And if you have a regular pecan tree, they'll take a paper shell pecan limb or branch or something. I'm no, I'm no, I'm no, I'm no, uh, what do you, yeah, I'm no botanist. I was trying to think of a person who works on trees, and I was saying, is that a tree mechanic? <laughs> is that what you call it? I don't know. I know very little about that. But the man who used to pastor my church in Oklahoma, everybody in the church who had a pecan tree, he would go around there and, make this, put, and put this little uh, graft on them, and it would turn it into a paper shell pecan tree, which made the shells thinner and easier to crack open, which everybody was really happy about. And so the Jews, they rejected Christ. They're broken off of the, of the root. So there's no branches. But the Gentiles, when they believe in Jesus Christ, Paul's saying they're grafted in. And so this, this root of Abraham, you're grafted in. And Paul gives a warning to the Gentiles because once you tell somebody they have a privileged status, it can go to your head. It can really go to your head. So, Paul tells these Gentiles, just because you are in the position of honor now, don't become arrogant. Verse 18. 
do not be arrogant toward the branches. Now, we know that this has been a problem in Christendom because, sadly, it has been amongst Christians that down through the years, there has been a healthy dose, actually, it's an unhealthy dose of anti-Semitism down through the years. Because Gentiles, they became arrogant toward the Jews. You killed the Messiah, so you're out. We just went through the, uh, the Reformation kind of celebrations of, 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 of Martin Luther. Martin Luther himself, some of the things he said about the Jews were, are so awful. John Piper says on that regard, he says, Luther's statements about Jews are so vicious, vile, and sinful, it makes me wonder if he was a Christian at all. So it gives you some idea. There's this arrogance towards the Jews that has been a part of Christianity. But Paul warns us, don't be arrogant toward the branches. They've been broken off. The the attention has now turned to you, but don't become lifted up. Don't become proud. If you remember that it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you, in verse 18. Remember who you are. Remember it's just by grace that you have been saved. Not because of your own merits or because you are especially lovely or glorious people. We're saved by grace and grace alone. It's an unmerited favor that's given to us. Now Paul follows this argument in verse 19. Then you will say, well, the branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. So therefore I must be something special. Paul says, that's true. But they were broken off not because you were so great, but because they did not believe. If they had believed, they would still be in their spot. But they didn't believe. He says, so you need to stand fast through your faith. So, become pr- so do not become proud, but fear. Charles Spurgeon says that the, the, there are two sins in the Bible that are condemned more than, more than any others. One is idolatry, and the second is pride. The second is pride. We become so proud. Because we got a lot to be proud of, right? Look what we can do. Look what we can do. The the cell phone is such a, a marvel, isn't it? There's more technology in this phone than the astronauts had when they landed on the moon. That's a mind blower to me. This this thing is a computer, an internet browser. I can take pictures of you, and I can make you look really funny. I sent the kids on on Halloween. There's a Snapchat. I am on Snapchat, by the way, because I'm really cool. And uh, I I have Snapchat, and they had Halloween filters on Snapchat. And so I took a picture of myself on Snapchat. It was a kind of a, a, a flaming skeleton, kind of a, a flaming pumpkin kind of a thing. And I sent it to Mitchell, who's in college, you know, and he showed it to some of his friends. And, and they said, oh, Mr. Bash, you look so cool. I was like, I know. <laughs> but the technology is mind-blowing that we have. Look what we can do. They say that air conditioning is the number one reason why there are people who live in Nevada and Arizona. If we had not invented air conditioning, nobody would want to live out there in those places. We can, man, the, 
the natural world says, you can't live here. And what do we say? Hold my beer. We'll do whatever we want to do. We'll show you. They said, they could, they said that you could never build. They told Texans, you could never build a professional baseball stadium with a retractable ceiling. You know what the Texans did? They built the Astrodome, and they built the stadium in uh, Arlington. I mean, man, we can do a lot of stuff, can't we? And we get lifted up. We become proud. Pride is a besetting sin for so many of us. Do not become proud, but fear. Fear. It's not because of who you are that you had this special status with God. It's not connected to merit or ethnicity. It's through God's grace and through simple faith in Him that you need Him. You must believe that you need Jesus. And that, to say you need Jesus and that you need his righteousness, that is the antithesis of pride. That is humility. To say, I have no righteousness of my own, that's a humble thing to say. That you need Christ's righteousness. Now we have this, this section here about the severity of God. As Paul is giving the warning, do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Notice then the kindness and severity of God. He's severe towards those who have fallen, severe through through those who have rejected him. But God's kindness to you, he is kind to those who believe, and he is severe to those who reject him. Now notice this phrase in verse 22. Provided, but God, notice God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. Now, verse 23 tells us what this is about. And even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in. How do we continue in God's kindness? We keep on believing in Jesus. Keep on believing in Jesus. Now, I've printed this out because this is worth talking about for a second. Now, I'm a, I'm a Baptist, and, and most Baptists believe in a thing called eternal security. What that means is that if you put your faith in Christ, if you really sincerely put your faith in Christ, is that you're saved and that you're eternally secured. That means your salvation, once you've received it, you can't lose it. And kind of some things we, we talk about being sealed with the Holy Spirit in Ephesians chapter 1. And then uh, when you, if you put your faith in Christ, God gives to you what kind of life? It's not a trick question, class. Eternal life, which is life that doesn't end. So it's something you can't lose. In John chapter 10, verses 20 and 29, Jesus says we're held in, we're held in, in, in the hand. Uh, 20 and 29, how's it go? Let's read it. <laughs> John chapter 10, 28 and 29. Verse 27 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. 
and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and my Father are one. And the Jews picked up the stones to stone Jesus. So these are, these are verses that we use to say that once a person is born again, once they've been saved, once they put their faith in Christ, this relationship they have with God through Christ is secure and can't be changed. Let me say it like this. You can't lose your salvation. Once you've been born again, you can't get unborn. Right? How many of you guys have been born once? <laughs> Tell the people next to you, because some not everybody raised their hand. <laughs> You've also been born once. You can't get unborn. And all, and all these pictures are to tell us that when we come to faith in Christ, we are secure in Christ. Now, somebody may say, well, why does it say here then continue in his kindness? If we continue in his kindness. It's because there are a class of people. Mark chapter 4 talks about this. Who we could call temporary believers. Temporary believers. People who believe for a little while, but then they quit believing. And those people are lost. It doesn't mean they lost their salvation. It means they didn't have real faith. They didn't have true faith. Now, just so you... Just so you don't think I'm talking out of my uh, talking out of my hat. Thank you, Denise. <laughs> Listen to this from the London Confession, 1689, chapter 14, paragraph 3 on saving faith. Listen to what it says. Saving faith, although it be in different degrees, and may be weak or strong. So it doesn't matter. The amount of faith you have when you ask Christ to save you, your salvation is not contingent upon the level of your faith. Because I'm going to say this. When I was saved at 15 years of, of age, my faith was about that big. All right? But I've been, I've been a Christian now. I'm, I'm almost, well, I guess I'll be 45 in the spring. So I've been a Christian almost 30 years. You know, how, you, you know what size my faith is now? Well, it's a lot bigger. It's a lot bigger. I'm not more saved now than I was then, but I'm more, I'm more sure that I'm saved now than I was then. So it's not about the degree of, of the faith, the strength. It may be weak or strong, yet in the least degree of it, different in the kinder nature of it, as is all other saving grace. From the faith in common grace, it's different from the faith in common grace of temporary believers. Saving faith is a faith that's permanent. Temporary faith is a faith that's not permanent. Now, Mark chapter 4 talks about the, the parable of the soils. The sower goes out to sow. He sows the seed on hard ground, and the birds and the devil, they come and take away the seed, lest people believe. And then the seed lands on stony ground, which immediately springs up. But then the sun comes out and withers it, withers it, and it dries up and dies because there's no root. And then there's the third seed that's sown amongst the ground and it springs up and then it's choked out by weeds and doesn't produce anything. And then there's the fourth soil, which is the good ground, which the seed hits it and it produces lots and lots of fruit, 30, 60, 100 fold. 
It really takes off and is permanent. Saving faith is permanent faith. Permanent faith. Temporary faith, well, it's not permanent, is it? It's not permanent. Because here's what you see sometimes with people. My dad, this is a, this isn't a, my dad, my dad's a, my dad's a Baptist preacher. He's, he's been a pastor my whole life. And we had this guy who went to our church. His name was, his name was Donald. Donald. And Donald, he had a, he had the coolest truck. It was a three-quarter ton Ford, short bed, four-wheel drive. And it was about, it looked, looked to be a mile high to me as a kid it was jacked up, had big tires on it. And, I'd be, and at that church, we'd stand out in front of the church and they had a, a porch on the front of the church. Remember when churches had porches? The church had a porch and we'd all stand out there, you know, and the deacons would smoke on one side and their wives would dip snuff on the other side. It's in the south, man. That's how it is. <laughs> we'd stand there on the porch and you hear, these loud mufflers. And you see this giant Bigfoot-type truck whoosh, come up the parking, the driveway and go around the bend and pull in the parking lot and bop, 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 bop. You know, as a kid, you're just like, oh, man, what a beauty. And then he'd turn it off, bop, 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 pow, you know, he'd turn it off. And Donald would get out and come into church. And I remember the first time he came. My dad got up there. He gave a sermon. At the end of the sermon, Donald came forward and told my dad, he's a preacher, I want to get saved. And my dad would talk to him about the Lord, and he, and he would say, you know, Donald's asked the Lord to save him today. And uh, everybody's kind of happy about it. That's how we are when people get saved, right? We're happy about it. Well, we didn't see Donald again for about eight weeks. Eight weeks later, here comes that big truck. Bob, I pulled back in there again. Donald parked out front, started off. Bah, 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 bah. End of the sermon, guess who came forward? Donald, this same thing repeated itself every eight weeks. And the reason why it repeated itself every eight weeks is because every eight weeks, Donald on Friday night would go out on a big drunk and get drunk and come home and him and his wife have a big fight and she'd say, I'm leaving you. And so he'd go to church, make a profession of faith, go home and tell his wife, hey, I got saved, now I'm a Christian, don't leave me. Just the same cycle over and over again. After a while, my dad, Donald came forward and my dad said, Donald, what are you doing? You don't mean business. You're not sincere. He was just making the decision to get himself out of hot water. Now, I know that can happen to in a church because as a 14-year-old boy, I did the exact same thing. Because I got in some trouble for some stuff I'd been doing. And... Uh, I knew my dad's going to find out about it. And so, in order to avoid the wrath of my father, I went forward and made a profession of faith because, you know, your dad, he can't kill you just for being a sinner, can he? Can't he? He'd, be, he'd be thrilled now that I'm a Christian, right? You know, my dad's pretty smart. He caught on to what I was up to. But that's temporary faith. There are those people who have temporary faith. I can remember when I was 12 years old, I was at my grandma's house. Sorry for all these dumb stories. I, was, I, knew, I knew I was not a Christian. I knew I wasn't saved. 
and I was at my grandma's house in Illinois, and there was a tornado coming along one side of the road. You could see this big wall going past. And I remember standing there at the screen door watching it, because you don't go in the basement. You watch from the screen door, right? I was watching the storm come past, and I remember being afraid I was going to die. I thought that storm was going to come across and get me. And so I just stood there and watched. And I said, Lord, if you let me survive this, I'll become a Christian. Well, I survived. And I was really happy too, but <laughs> I did not become a Christian. It's just temporary stuff. Not real. Not real. All based on emotions or getting in trouble. All these these are temporary believers. Temporary. And we this this is this is actually a recognized category. The London Confession talks about it, so it's something to really think about. How do you know if somebody really is a Christian? An enduring attachment to Jesus. An enduring attachment to Jesus. Now we know you, you can't tell if somebody's a Christian all the time by how little they sin, because sometimes Christians do lots of sin. You know if somebody's a Christian because of an enduring attachment to Him. They, they, they keep on believing in Him. They keep on trusting in Him. Even, even in there, the Lent Confession even talks about although true believers may for a time fall into grievous sins, they will be renewed to repentance. Renewed back to repentance because they, because they have Christ as their peculiar treasure. Now, being a Jew or a Gentile is, doesn't, doesn't mean you're, you're not saved because you're a Jew. You're not saved because you're a Gentile. You're saved because you put your faith in in Christ. Romans 10:12 says it that way. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. Now let's look at the, what's going to happen to Jews in the last day. We have to finish, right? And we had plenty of sleep last night too, so we're good to go, right? Verses 25 through 32. This, this is what's going to happen to Jews. This is what's going to happen to Jews in the last day. This hardening of the Jews because of their rejection of the Messiah is not permanent, verse 25. Now, I take verse 25 to mean that once all the elect Gentiles are both born naturally and then born again supernaturally, then there will be a change in God's dealing with the Jews because God is gathering in Gentiles into the kingdom. Now, this is a part of God's eternal purpose so therefore, they're elect from the foundation of the world, but they have to really exist too. They have to really exist. So they have to be born naturally, and then born again supernaturally. Then after God's Gentile elect are gathered into the kingdom, there's going to be a change. Something's going to happen with the Jewish people. And that's what verse 25 indicates in my opinion. Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And then something's going to happen. And then in this way, all Israel will be saved. And this word saved here is the same word, soteros, just like we use it for you and me being saved. All Israel will be saved. Now this word all Israel but to think about all Israel. Is this all Israel without exception? You say, well, one person may say yes. Well, then you have 
all of Israel includes everybody who's dead too. Well, there are some people who teach that there will be all the dead Jews will be resurrected and regenerated and go into the kingdom. Now, I don't think that's I don't think that's true. But that is, that is a view that you can you can come across. In this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, here's how they're going to be saved. After this Gentile group is saved, until the fullness of Gentiles has come in, in this way, all Israel will be saved. As it is written, here's how it's going to happen. The Deliverer will come from Zion. He will banish ungodliness from Jacob. And this will be my covenant with them when I take away their sins. So how are, they going, how are all these Jews going to be saved? Now, I think the Jews are going to be saved. The all Israel here is all living Jews. And the deliverer who comes from Zion, who is it that sits on the throne in Zion? It's Christ. You can see, you can see that in Psalms 18.2, 75, and 144.2. The deliverer who sits on the throne is Christ. Christ is going to, by his own edict, by his own power, John Gill says it like this, Jesus is going to utter an effectual call from heaven's throne, and all living Jews on the earth will hear the voice of the Savior and they'll be regenerated, born again, put their faith in Christ. And when that happens immediately, Jesus returns. All these, there's a, there's a great host of people he's going to save. Now, the apostle says he's going to do this not because they're really snappy people, verse 28. They are beloved for the sake of their forefathers because God has made a promise so there, there's, he's not done with the Jews. There will be this final ingathering of them before the millennium begins. And verse 29 is a fabulous text. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. God made a promise to them. Even though they sinned against him, he hardened them, he punished them, but he hasn't cast them away completely. There's going to be this remnant of people who are saved. There's going to be quite a, quite a host of people Quite a host of people. But in the meantime, Paul says in 20 and 29, the Jews, they're hostile to Christianity, but they are an elect people. They're beloved still because of the covenant made their forefathers, and God's going to gather them in. In verse 30 and 32, it says that God has consigned all, both Jews and Gentiles, to disobedience, so they may have mercy on both Jew and Gentile. He treats them both the same. They're both disobedient. They both have to come to him through the same gate, through the same door, and that's Jesus Christ. Now, you ready for the end of the sermon, 33 to 36? We've been at it for 45 minutes. You guys ready to quit? I'm, re- I'm ready to quit myself. Thanks, Michael. <laughs> Michael supports me in my desire. At the end of the, at the, end of the chapter, we have these verses of doxology. How do you respond to this? How do you respond to what Paul has just said? Here's what Paul says. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, how inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? Or who has given, who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? Paul says, what you need to do is sit back and just marvel at this because it's beyond our understanding why has God chosen to do it this way I don't know 
I don't know. There's probably a way he could have streamlined the whole process. If he put you and me in charge of it, we could probably streamline the whole deal and make it more efficient. We can get rid of the unnecessary moving parts and just get it down to just a race car kind of thing. Just the bare bolts. But this is how God has chosen to do it. And how should we respond to God's plan? Say, God, that's the wrong plan? <laughs> nope. Wait to remember who we are. Say, God, you're God. You're the boss of this thing, not me. And whatever, you're, the, whatever way you want to do it is the right. Is right. And so we bow before him in humility and say, you are the Almighty. We can't add anything to this, verse 35. Who has given a gift to him that might be repaid? Nobody has. You can't repay him for anything. And verse 36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. This means that everything that is, everything that is and has been from him, And through him and to him are all things. Everything that is, is because he wants it to be. Therefore, to him be glory forever. Amen. Chapter 11. Let's pray together. Father, I really feel like this. There's no way I I could talk about this chapter in a way that's... I can't do it justice. And Lord, I'm sorry for just kind of giving up on it and saying, I'm not going to do it, do any more sermons from this. There's a lot more that could be said. But Lord, I don't know what else to say about it. And I pray, Lord, that it would be profitable to your people. And if I'm making a mistake in doing that, Lord, I pray you would, that you would uh, you convict my heart about it. I'll give it to you and to your people. In Christ's name.